Listen on. This is the truth of it. Fighting leads to killing. And killing gets to warring. And that was damn near the death of us all. Look at us now. Busted up and everyone talking about hard rain. But we've learned by the dust of them all, Barter Town's learned. Now when men get to fighting, it happens here. And it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Now, I've got two men. Two men with a gut full of fear. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Hey everybody, welcome back once again to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast. I am Sam. And I am Will. Yes, the master to my blaster. <laughs> We're talking about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. We don't need another hero. We just want to know the way home. <laughs> oh, it starts out this is a, it starts out real smooth. Yeah. Then it's a banger, and then she brings out the children's choir. Yeah, and that's and it, how you know it's a it becomes it's like, epic. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it, <laughs> it's weird in the context of the movie, but uh, <laughs> but it's a very strange movie. So it's it a very strange. Works yeah, out. <laughs> it's because it's not. She's not really the villain. No. Anyway, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the third in, uh, and at the time, for a long time, final uh, installment in the Mad Max uh, saga, for, uh, which started in 1979, a very low-budget, uh, sort of post-apocalypse-adjacent action-revenge thriller uh, directed by first-time director uh, George Miller and starring a very young, then completely unknown uh, actor named Mel Gibson. <laughs> and it became a huge hit in Australia, and it was coming out in the, the big boom of Australian exploitation cinema that kind of put Australian cinema in general on the map. And you saw a lot of directors like Peter Weir and George Miller and a few others sort of come out of that uh, that sort of boom of cinema. And this uh, uh, Mad Max uh, became a huge cult classic. Uh, and it wasn't a big hit in the U.S. They didn't really know what to do with it in the U.S. And it was dubbed over in very strange way, yeah, too. Yeah, they thought the Australian accents would be too hard to understand. And, and they're not. Like, I've, no. you know, it's it's widely available in its original audio now. And it's, you, you can understand what Mel Gibson's saying. Yeah, everyone's... Unlike, unlike today, you know. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's pretty understandable. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but hugely influential movie, and even more so was its sequel in 1981, Mad Max 2, better known as The Road Warrior, Warrior. which basically, I would say, kick-started the entire subgenre of what I would call the found-item apocalypse movies. Like this is this just kickstarted the future where everyone drove a chopped up car and had like hockey pads on and like lived in the desert because yeah. 
it's incredibly cheap to make these movies and right. they spawned so many ripoffs but you can draw a straight line from Mad Max to and and the Road Warrior to you know so many movies that came out in the 80s and 90s you can uh, directors up and down the the filmmaking world cite the Road Warrior as one of their favorite movies James Cameron yeah. Guillermo del Toro Peter Jackson uh, you know I could go on and on yeah, I mean, and it's a it's a movie that um, is so propulsive and so um, like in your face in its style um, that it's it's hard to believe that it's like somebody's second movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that's the crazy thing. And yeah. then this is, I think, I think this is his third movie, uh, or is it his fourth? I guess it's oh, uh, in between he did the Twilight Zone movie. That's movie. it. He right, did his right, segment right. of. He did one of the good segments of the Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and Joe Dante are the only yeah. two segments that are worth anything in that one. Um, yeah, so then he comes back for, for part three. Uh, and, uh, well, it, 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 it was marred by tragedy to, yeah. to begin he, with. He, uh, through all of his movies leading up to Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which is in uh, 1985, uh, George Miller had a producing partner who also kind of came out of the low-budget indie uh, Australian filmmaking scene named Byron Kennedy. And Byron Kennedy, from everything you read about him, he sounds like the quintessential, like, producer who can keep the uh, enigmatic, uh, you know, sort of mercurial director sane. Yeah. <laughs> and also protect him a little bit from the studio. Right. Uh, and so, on, very sadly, while doing location scouting for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Byron Kennedy was killed in a helicopter crash. And I think that just threw a pall over the whole production. I don't, Miller was very hesitant to uh, continue with it. And when he ended up finally making it, he had a co director. Yeah. And it sounded like, it, from what I've read, it seems like he pretty much just, Miller just did the action stuff and didn't really, it just wasn't his. He just his heart wasn't in it. I think. I think it really it really hit him hard. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and I think you can actually knowing that you can really pick up on the tonal difference between the action sequences and the sort of character stuff because this is of the four Mad Max movies. This is definitely the one where the movie kind of stops and yeah. sits in different <laughs> places for a while. It and I, that's deliberate. I don't, I, I, I don't know if it works, but it's definitely trying to be a very different animal than certainly the road warrior and Mad Max Fury road later on. Like the, all of these, all four of these movies are essentially with the exception of the first, the, uh, they're all basically Westerns. They're yeah. the man with no name wanders. They, they straight up call him the man with no name. In this, in this one, one yeah. which I roll, I rolled my eyes a little bit at, but they know he's the man with no name wanders into town and, you know, has a job to do. He's a little bit amoral. He's a little bit in it for himself. He's just kind of a survivor, but he ultimately learns to do the right thing. All, right. all three of the sequels to Mad Max, because the first movie is very much an origin. Yeah, no movie where he, yeah. he kind of goes in the opposite direction in the first Mad Max, where he starts out a happy family man. And by the end, he's, wandering into the wasteland after fucking killing an entire biker gang. <laughs> yeah, a broken shell of a man going into the yeah. into the But they the lay wasteland. out the thesis for all three subsequent Mad Max movies in Road Warrior, which is it was here in this blighted place that he learned to live again. <laughs> exactly. And that's basically what the three movies are. 
Yeah. And they're, they're Mad Max getting caught up in someone else's story, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, he's not really the protagonist, per se. I mean, I guess he's, you'd call him the protagonist, but he's not... I don't know. How would he, you... has, he has an arc. Yeah. But he's not necessarily the one that has anything at stake beyond surviving. Right. Yeah. And it's, and... you know, it's just kind of him finding his humanity through helping other people who are doing a much better job of clinging to civilization in some form or another. Right. And clinging to their, their humanity. And it, every time one of these movies, one of the sequels starts, he's lost a part of himself and each movie he has to find it again. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, and the problem with Mad Max beyond Thunderdome is he doesn't meet the characters that are, you know, trying for something better. He doesn't meet like those people that he's going to help until the midpoint of the movie after spending an hour hanging out in, uh, you know, in a completely like basically Mad Max starts out as, like a Golan Globus, like <laughs> like Mad Max knockoff, where they go to you know a town full of people in like bondage gear, right. and he fights in like a cage, and then at the midpoint, it suddenly decides to become Hook, <laughs> and then in the last fifteen minutes, it remembers we're a Mad Max movie and, and we're needs gonna have to have a car chase. chase, and we need to have Bruce Spence show up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, podcast part three alum, third time alum actually for Bruce. Spence. Yeah, that's right. Bruce, well, Bruce Spence is everywhere. It's yeah. it must have been deeply confusing to audience <laughs> moviegoers to see him show up at the beginning of this movie playing I, a completely it, different uh, air based character. Like yeah, when I I first watched these movies um, when I was like twelve, uh, and I, I rented them all. I watched Mad Max and I watched Road Warrior and then I watched Beyond Thunderdome, and I Beyond Thunderdome deeply confused me. <laughs> As a kid. <laughs> I had, and it's probably the first time, one of the first times I watched it, because I rented it, uh, I rented Mad Max and Mad Max 2, uh, or The Road Warrior, as it's been called for almost all, its whole time in the U.S., yeah. on VHS. And it was from my video store. It was an ancient Mad Max VHS where it had the American dub. <laughs> yeah. But I then bought The Road Warrior on VHS, and it was one of those black clamshell cases. Oh, Yeah. Those were so fun. They were like the adult version of the Disney clamshells. But like, I think Warner Brothers kind of put the patent on them. Because I had one of those for like Casablanca and we had one for the Music Man. And they always had like making of stuff at the beginning. Right. But it had, at the beginning, a trailer for The Road Warrior, but also a trailer for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And in the trailer for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, there's like one shot of Bruce Spence. As (laughs) And so I think... Oh, it's the gyro captain. He's going to be back in this sequel. Right. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, that's cool. But it's not the gyro captain from The Road Warrior. It's Jedediah the pilot, <laughs> who is also a pilot, also kind of an amoral, waste, like wandering the wasteland guy, but not the gyro captain from Road Warrior. Road Warrior. Yeah. And, and it's had, like, and it's like, it's not an uncommon thing for directors to want to bring an actor back in a new role in a sequel. That's like a thing a lot of directors do, but it's just so similar, but just different enough to be deeply confusing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and he has a kid in this one who, I, I don't know how they found a kid who looks exactly like a mini Bruce Spence. I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> but he's the one who kicks off the whole thing. He steals yes. all of Mad Max, Max's shit. And then they have to go, he has to go to Barter Town to get it back. Well, it's like that whole opening just shows you how different a movie this is going to be from uh, The Road Warrior in that, like, 
you've said this before, and it's like it, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome is the turning point where it, the deserts have reclaimed the roads. Right, yeah. So he's not driving around in a car. He's, like, got a car, but it's being pulled by camels out in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> Like, he spends a lot of this movie wandering the desert. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's so, that's, and it's like he's, you know, he's got his Braveheart hair. Mel Gibson's got the Braveheart hair. And he's, you know, it. he's he's very much the way Max is at the beginning of any of these movies, where he's just kind of silently wandering aimlessly. But it yeah. just has a very different vibe from it, the first two movies. Yeah, it feels a lot more like a Spielberg movie. Um, mm. And I don't mean that just because, like, the kids feel very much like they wandered out of Hook, um, even though this was long before Hook. Yeah. But, but it just, the way it's shot, it feels it feels more classical than sort of, like, the punk rock vibe of Road Warrior. Do you it's, know what I mean? It's, it's the studio version. Yeah, this yeah. is This is the PG-13 one. It's way less violent. Yeah. It's got less, it's got no nudity. And it's, you know, this is the one where, because I think George Miller was kind of in a, 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 he was in a bit of a vulnerable place and wasn't putting up as much of a fight, uh, the studio got to, I think, have more influence on what the movie was. Well, yeah, and that's that's sort of clear in that a lot of it is, like, it's making Max look totally badass and cool in a lot of sequences and, you know, and not as... Not that he's not like cool, but in in sort of the earlier movie, in at least Road Warrior, he, they make him kind of like he fucks up and like screws up and and has like problems. And here he's like he's Mel Gibson. He's awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, Mel Gibson had fully become Mel Gibson by nineteen eighty five. Yeah. I think he yeah. was a big star. I also the the movie, and I never honestly, I think I've only seen this movie once before. Which yeah, is crazy think... compared to the sheer volume of times I've watched Mad Max, Road Warrior, and Fury Road. <laughs> Fury Road only came out seven years ago, and I've watched it a hundred times, probably. Yeah, yeah same here. Uh, but I... I've, I, I did not remember very much of this movie. Like, I really didn't remember anything from the final chase scene, like, or how they got to Bartertown yeah. in the final act. But uh, the movie it reminded me the most of was Return of the Jedi. Oh, In sure. terms of, yeah. like... It feels the most kid friendly. It feels like instead of Ewoks, he just meets a bunch of kids uh, <laughs> after a protracted sequence where he's like fighting a crime lord. You know, right. it had a, and it was two years after Jedi, so I have to imagine some of that's not by accident. Right. But it is just like yeah, everything about it feels so different from the prior movies, and obviously from Fury Road. Uh, like the score is very like mid eighties, like lethal weapon sax heavy it's got it's got a pop star in it with who is like multiple songs yeah i mean it like like you're saying the the score feels like i mean the lethal weapon movies wouldn't be for an, another couple of years but it but it feels like that but also it feels like a john williamsy kind of thing too which i think yeah. adds to the spielberg vibe it uh there is a lot of this movie specifically in waterworld <laughs> oh yeah Oh yeah, like I, I, like the, the score, <laughs> the supporting characters, lots of the all the kids trying to get to like Tomorrow Morrowland and Dryland. This yep. this one feels the most like the movies that rip off Mad Max. Yeah, of all of them. Yeah, I I, I agree, and but it's funny that it like because it so many of the the movies that came out post this um that are post-apocalyptic and and 
you know, seem to actually take their cues more from this than Road Warrior, uh, even though I think they want to be Road Warrior. But, like, there's, like... But you, the thing with Road Warrior is you have to be one of the greatest action directors right. of all time to make the Road Warrior. Like, I, I haven't finished it yet, but and you've read it, but we yeah. both have are, have read at least some of Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, which is the making of Mad Max Fury Road, but they talk all about George Miller as a director, and you'd think uh, he he's definitely... he's it, What he wants from the movie is all in his head, and he's not great at articulating it. He's very much visually oriented. He storyboards out the whole thing. Uh, the only difference between him and guys like Kubrick or Cameron or people like that is that everyone says George Miller is the sweetest man <laughs> that's ever walked the earth. They have right. nothing but nice things to say about right. him. Right. He's, he's exacting, but he doesn't scream at you for two hours. No, no. He, gets like, he gets like frustrated with himself. That he can't articulate what he wants. Yeah. So like he, like, yeah, he had another director, George Ogilvie, who was kind of doing all that, working with the actors and doing all the character stuff in this and on subsequent movies, he's had other people involved to help him work with the actors. Like in in Fury Road, you know, he, he they talk about most of the setups and shots they do are for like five seconds, right. you know, five second shots, and there's not a lot of stuff an actor can get out of you know just a scene where they turn their head, you know. Right. But yeah, and it's... he's so. I mean that. Well, well, I don't want. To, I I made a mental I, note to myself before this record that this would not just dovetail into, into talking Fury about Fury Road, Road right? Or as the much Road as we Warrior. as much as we want to, because uh, I mean, I think there's actually a lot to talk about with this one. But uh, I, I just love Fury Road and Road Warrior so much that it's it's hard to yeah to talk about about it. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of cool stuff in in Beyond Thunderdome. The Thunderdome sequence is, like, pretty amazing. Um, yeah. The, all the design stuff is great. Yeah. It feels like it were it, it feels like the Mad Max world. It jibes with what you see in Road Warrior and what you see in Fury Road. It's just, it's, it feels more like those 80s fantasy movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. and this is another knockoff of Mad Max, but um, do you, did you ever see uh, Alien from L.A.? Y- yes, it's yes, a mystery science the one, theater episode. That's the one where they go underground, like under in the Hollow Earth thing. Yeah, it's yeah. a Golan Globus movie. It's it's a uh, Kathy it's Ireland, like, right? Yeah, Kathy <laughs> Ireland, and everyone else is like a fake Australian. Right? <laughs> but it, it felt to me a little bit like that. Like especially when he's coming to Barter Town, everyone kind of looks like that. Like it's they're all a little exaggerated compared yeah. to Road Warrior. Yeah, and it's um. I don't know. Buttertown's very cool on a on a design aesthetic, and um, but it, it, the, the I think the problem with the movie is that it feels like it's two halves of a, of stories, like it's two stories that aren't a full story, and they're just jammed together. <laughs> yeah, and it feels like it's like one of those things where they're taking ideas they couldn't do in prior movies, right. like the the feral kid in Road Warrior was originally intended to be a whole bunch of kids, but they couldn't, that was too much, too complicated. But now it's in Beyond Thunderdome. It's, yeah, it's, there's like, and I think the, also the big problem with the movie is that Mad Max, Road Warrior, and Fury Road all have a threat in the form of a really cool villain. Yeah. And that gives the whole thing some urgency. And, as awesome as Tina Turner is in this movie, she's not really the villain. Because, like, she's just, yeah. like, she's corrupt, sure. Uh, she wants to control Bartertown, but she also built Bartertown, 
and and it seems like compared to a lot of places in the wasteland, it's not that bad. It's not horrible. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it kind of just feels like Moss Eisley in a lot of ways. But it, yeah, we were, we were talking before this, and we were like, oh, this is this would be a great uh, Galaxy's Edge for uh, like an adult. <laughs> Uh, Disneyland that's just movies for grown-ups. I think another land I was thinking would be um, uh, Escape from New York, New York. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Where you can yeah. go into that weird theater where everyone's singing about how horrible it is being in New York. Yeah, 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 like that That would have the, um, uh, like, like, like that's one of the, the like, the dark ride is like Cabby's uh, <laughs> New York adventure on the bridge. The problem also is that the politics of Bartertown is very confusing and is, like, almost too complicated for a movie like this. It's a lot of, it feels like it's, like, corrupt labor union shit. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, she's the boss, but she's got to deal with the head of the, the uh, pig shit union. Right. Uh, uh, A.K.A. Master Blaster, who, like... <laughs> he's, 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 he's a little cocky. Master, as it turns out, is very cocky considering, uh, like, how bad he feels about getting Blaster killed. (laughs) He's like, if you probably shouldn't have gotten so far out over your skis, pal, if you didn't want anything to happen to your muscle. Yeah, it's, yeah, and so that, like, all the barter town politics is very strange and, like, hard to sort of wrap your head around. And these movies work the best when they are so simple and, like, like, hacked to the bone story-wise. yeah. Mad Max is a revenge thing. It's a, he right. kills one of the bikers. The bikers come after the cops, the, and then he goes after them because they kill his family. Very straightforward. Very like Death Wish right. type movie. Road Warrior. It, the the marauders want the gasoline, and, and the the, 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 the town settler, wants to get it out. <laughs> then the town wants to get to safety. Defend yeah. the fuel. You right. know that's their ticket to a better life. Yeah. Uh, this, and then Fury Road, the same thing. Get these brides to safety. It's a chance to build. It's all about like finding people that are trying to have a chance at a better life and a chance right. to rebuild. Uh, the problem with this one is that uh, there's there's no threat no. at any point except for like the elements. Like the biggest threat is being stuck in the desert. Well, yeah, and then it it was not entirely clear to me how Max and the kids they end up back at Barter Town and then they're like we need we need master well it's and i was like why do they need him and why is it cuz he knows how to escape but why do they go back to Barter Town in the first place and it's just... i i think it's it's so like so max gets to max or i'll get max uh has the fight in thunderdome and he gets exiled cuz he won't kill Blaster. He won't execute Blaster because Blaster has the mind of a child. Right. Uh, uh, so he gets exiled out into the wasteland and he comes upon this group of kids that live in this very nice valley yeah. uh, and were left there by, uh, like, as they were there as the result of a plane crash. And right around the, when the apocalypse happened. Like, right around take, when the nuclear yeah. war happened. Yeah, yeah give or take. Uh, the parents all left to try to get help. They left the kids there, which... I'm like, all the adults just left these kids who seem pretty young there. Yeah. Uh, it's This is when the movie gets very confusing to me. Well, it's, well, it's especially because it, they give the kids this, like, very... It's very cool in a world-building sense, uh, like, slang and argot, but it is really hard to follow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, very, like, Frank Miller or, like, yeah. Clockwork Orange-type slang. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah. But so, like, half the kids, 
are they're, they're they're waiting for Captain Walker to come and take them to Tomorrow Morrowland. Max gets there. They think he's Captain Walker, and Max is like, "No, I'm not. We should just stay here. This seems fine." <laughs> but half the kids leave, and he feels compelled to go after them. Right. And they end up stranded out in the desert. And the closest thing they can get to is Barter Town. Okay. So I guess it's like our only chance of surviving is to go to Barter Town and get like supplies. And they just happen to decide to free Master and bust out on a train that we didn't even know was there before. Right. And and end up in like like farmland. It's it this is what like the movie just kind of goes off the rails in the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, well it's it's like they, they it like you said, it's like, oh we need a chase. Uh yeah. a train chase. We haven't done a train chase yet, so let's let's do it. Yeah. It's it's like a very disjointed movie and uh it's just like yeah there's there's it's it doesn't move fast enough and there's not that much urgency to it yeah yeah i mean like when they're kind of wandering around barter town trying to escape i was like this just feels kind of aimless at this point there's not yeah. like there's and no... it's like a little too silly it doesn't yeah. feel like anyone's there's nothing at stake it's just constantly watching uh auntie's a henchman iron bar get like almost <laughs> killed a, over and, and over. hit with a pot like they hit a lot of guys pot, with pots. they throw him in the poop and then he gets like <laughs> he he like dies over and over yeah. and i think at the end he's not even quite dead no he it's just he clear. gives a, he gives them the finger and yeah. as he's dying um yeah it just it just feels very very disjointed one of the things that i did find interesting about this and uh, uh, the Mad Max movies feel like this too, and it, we were talking kind of about this with the Evil Dead movies. Um, is that it's it, each movie, Mad Max movie, feels like George Miller is trying to refine an idea. Yeah, and each each time he does it, he's like he's getting closer to what he's trying to do. Um, you know, he doesn't really care about continuity at all, really. Like, I mean, it's you could it doesn't it's not like he doesn't care but it, it's not at the forefront of his mind you know what i mean the, the expanded universe of mad max isn't really important to no. these movies no not at all and and but what he really wants to do is is figure out how to tell a story as simply and as visually as you can get and like you know you get that with road warrior and then you it, you it goes along and then he gets to fury road and it feels like fury road is like the apotheosis of what the, these movies is is what he wants you know what yeah. i mean like, well i mean also he was working on fury road for like 20 years well right so. right but i mean but it but seems like this like fury road is where he was like this is what i wanted to do the whole time I've wanted to tell a story this simply with, you know, with as, you know, visually as possible. I don't know. But. Yeah. No, I mean, his, and I said it before, the thesis statement of like, here in this blighted place, he learned to live again. You could track that through a lot of his movies, both Mad Max and not Mad Max. He's, he's about characters finding themselves finding their best self in like the most dire and bleak of situations. It's crazy that you can apply those themes to both Mad Max and also like Babe and yep. Happy Feet, yeah. but <laughs> you can absolutely yeah. same with Lorenzo's Oil, and uh, you know I'd say the only outlier there is The Witches of Eastwick. Right, but, but he was kind of a hired gun for that. Yeah, so, that's yeah. that's based on a book too. It's still you know it, it's a it's a fun movie. It just I've it's, never seen you know, it. So it's fun. You know it, it's it's a peak 80s like <laughs> batman era jack nicholson villain performance right he's it's it's you know it's a it's a fun cute movie I'd, I'd equate it to like something like death becomes her right like that right. era of like dark comedy you know it, it's i'd put it in there he and lorenzo's oil is a lovely movie it's it's 
like I watched it in science class and it's <laughs> honestly it's one of his scariest movies because yeah. it's watching just this child deteriorate right. over like the first half and his parents just desperately trying to figure out how to help him. Yeah, I've I've never seen that one either. Um but but then that's that's another thing that I find interesting about George Miller as a director is how empathetic he is. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. even like thugs and um you know like just random side characters are given depths of humanity that movies like this don't even usually bother with. Um I think in that book um Blood Sweat and Chrome I think it's Amy Nicholson who says it that there's like the I think says something similar to what I just said that you know, that the, there's this this humanity towards everything, and, like, every death matters. Yeah, um, he, he's not, um, yeah, he's not a cynical, it's, he, yeah. even though his, you know, his future is bleak, and it's harsh, it's not cynical at all. Like, he is very empathetic with Auntie in this yeah. movie. Yeah. He shows, like, in Road Warrior, one of the, like, the main, like, the main villain is is uh, humongous, but kind of the villain that squares off with Max the most is Wes, yeah. and Wes is out for revenge because they killed his 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 boyfriend essentially. <laughs> yeah. And the the bikers in the first one are very fleshed out characters, uh, yeah. you know. And then you get this, like the you know I think the least sympathetic of all his villains is uh, Immortan Joe, but you certainly like get a sense of like the, the you know the adulation and how much he manipulates all his like war boys and stuff it's it's a a very thought out world the villains are rarely like stock evil compared to even something like star wars yeah i mean and that's that's the thing where you in star wars where you see sort of wave after wave of you know stormtroopers getting mowed down uh in in these movies even like the the stormtroopers it the deaths have weight to them um You know, where, where you'd think a movie like this doesn't. They're, they're very humanistic, even though it feels like they're, they should be nihilistic. It's yeah. all of these characters trying to find, figure out what they need to do to survive and how, you know, I think they say in Road Warrior, it's, uh, you know, mobile enough to scavenge, brutal enough to pillage are the ones that survive. Yeah. And it's, you know, how far down that road are you prepared to go? Yeah. It's it's a theme that he does touch on in the first movie because Max's big fear in that film is that he's becoming no different than the you know criminals he chases, and it's only the badge that makes him different. And by the end of it, he, he that's the case. It's erased. Yeah, the yeah. line has been erased. Yeah. yeah, and like by and every time you see him in one of these movies at the beginning, he's more and more detached from humanity. By yeah. by Fury Road, he's basically feral. The other thing I, I noticed, and one of the things I think it, that this movie seemed to inspire, I mean, I don't know for sure, but is the uh, third act of Logan, um, which I felt like took the the ideas of uh, Beyond Thunderdome and sort of synthesized them into something that was usable. You know, Yeah, with... Lo- Logan is very much set in, like, the same world as I feel like the first Mad Max. Yeah, where, where it's, it's not sliding quite, into it's, apocalypse. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's a dystopia, but it's not quite there yet. Oh, yeah, yeah but yeah, R- R- uh, Logan is very much a product of the Mad Max movies. Well, yeah, but I, but I specifically mean at the end of Logan where he comes into contact with a bunch of kids and has mm. to help the kids, you know? And it, that felt like Beyond Thunderdome, but sort of done right. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he's trying to get to them the whole time. Right. They're a goal. Yeah. The problem yeah. with this is the kids are come out of nowhere in the mid- <laughs> midpoint of the movie, yeah. and suddenly the movie becomes completely different. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they wandered in from a different movie. And because we're spending all this time with them, we're not hanging out with Tina Turner, and we want to hang out with Tina Turner because, because she's, like, she's awesome. You and know? She's, she's having a ball. She is having oh, yeah. so much fun in this movie. She's yeah. having so—she's just great. She's just great. <laughs> Death is listening, and we'll take the first man that screams. <laughs> He's just a raggedy man. <laughs> I like that line of hers where she's like, uh, you know, before I was nobody, except on the day after I was still alive. You know, yeah. that, like, like, that's great. She is a great character because, yeah, she she built something out of nothing. Like, yeah. she built Barter Town and where there was chaos, there's now order. Thunderdome is how they settle their shit instead of, like, trying to kill each other. Yeah. it's It sucks that it gets kind of destroyed at the end. <laughs> like, she gives that speech to everyone about, like, we will rebuild. Uh, you know, it's, and I'm glad she doesn't get killed. Like they still, you, you kind of like her at the end. She, and she likes Max. Yeah. She's like, "Ah, you're all right. You're all right, kid. We're going to, we're going to leave you alone. Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye, soldier. (laughs) But it, that comes at the expense of there being a threat, you know, a marauding threat that's going to tear down what you've worked so hard to build someone that's given up on civilization Right. Uh, it, it's this is just two different forms of like or order and civilization just kind of bumping into each other in the third act of the movie. Yeah, yeah, just bumping into each other and not really in any conflict. It's not like Auntie Entity is sending out people to like kidnap these kids or, no, or, or, they, or try to take the resources that they have. It's just they kind of just bump into each other, and all Auntie Entity cares about is Master. Yeah, and nothing really I, else. I, because I feel like he's the only one that maybe has like an advanced degree or something. <laughs> or, yeah, knows how to deal with the methane. You I run Barter Town. You <laughs> fix <laughs> that guy. That actor, Angelo yeah. Rosito, he's in Freaks. Really? He's the guy in Freaks that's dancing on the table during the Google Gobble sequence. Really? You know, that's like, him? Yeah, let's yeah. Make him. Let's make him one of us. A loving cup. Google Gobble. <laughs> Google Gobble. That's him. I, I was so excited. That. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my he God. was like, he died in like 1991, but like he was around forever. And wow. I was like, that's delightful. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even look him up. I, I should have. That's great. I, I, I looked it up because I was like, a few of these guys were in other interesting things. The Collector, who's like the guy that Mac, Max meets when he first gets to Barter Town, the kind mm-hmm. of bald, the bald, portly dude. Yeah. He was Pontius Pilate in Ben-Hur. Oh, And then awesome. uh, Iron Bar is Angry Anderson, who is the lead singer of Rose Tattoo. And <laughs> uh, they did that song at the beginning of the uh, Not Quite Hollywood documentary. Oh, all right. Like, all right. we can't be beaten. It's like <laughs> a very like diet acdc but they've ha- they've been around for like s- since the 70s so uh, for those who don't know the not quite hollywood documentary is a documentary all about the ozploitation the you know australian exploitation cinema um yes it's a it's great, great documentary it's really good directed by mark hartley uh touches on mad max but like a ton of other movies yeah. and it definitely worth checking out yeah, and Quentin Tarantino's interviewed in it. It's really cool. Yeah, it's like, really and a cool. lot of, like, other direct, like, George Miller's interviewed in it, yeah. Brian Trenchard-Smith, Roger uh, Ward, who was the, is in the first Mad Max, you know, like, all these guys that were kind of quintessential figures in Australian exploitation cinema, and then it yeah. sort of trickled out into the rest of the country, or yeah. the rest of the world. The world, yeah. Yeah. Grant Page, the stuntman. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, and I think he does stunts in. I don't know if he's in this one, but he's definitely does stunts in the first two. Yeah, is he? The, he's not the guy who does the 
the flip, right? In in Road Warrior, the, I don't think it's like that's like a Guinness World Record. Yeah, it's the like, guy that he does like four flips and then yeah. landed. Like their crash pad was just a bunch of cardboard boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, broke his I leg. don't know if that's him. I should have looked it up, but he's. He's like the the stunt guy. Like when you think of just like a perpetually sort of like sunburned, like windswept stunt man who's just constantly letting himself get slathered in gel ignite and thrown off cliffs. <laughs> you're thinking of Grant Page, yeah. and he's and as they say in the documentary, he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, great documentary. Like this is a this is the you know probably the high water mark of a very fun little era in Australian filmmaking, which was like a little subsection of that 70s exploitation cinema that, you know, cropped up all over the place. You had black exploitation cinema, you had right. kung fu movies, and you had, you know, sort of uh, like the the, hor- the independent horror boom, and they all kind of mesh together in different ways. Yeah. This is just like, this is has the misfortune of just being the weak link in like, in between two of the greatest action movies ever made. Yeah. This is just, this is yeah. just the one mulligan. It's the Ghostbusters 2. It's the, um, and it like, it, it is like, it's, I'd say I'd compare it to like Ghostbusters 2 or the sequels like that, where it's like, I don't think it's very good. It doesn't live up to its predecessors, but it's a fun watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, uh, the world building in it is so cool. And yeah. which is kind of, it's different from the other movies. I think it's closer in its world building to Fury Road than the other two, but... It's um, it's a movie that would have worked better if Max was a character with more agency. Yeah. Because, like, the man with no name, Clint Eastwood, when he wanders into town, like, in A Fistful of Dollars or Yojimbo, we want to go back <laughs> to Kurosawa, uh, he wanders into town and he figures out how he can play these two sides against each other. He's not just sort of, like... He's, like, he's not... Mad Max isn't manipulating anyone. He's just trying to get his, you know, car back and his camels and, and be on his way. And that and that's fine. That works. That's how Mad Max would roll. But this story requires, I think, a more proactive character. Right. And and and, and just and more of a of a of a reason for the kids to be there or yeah. and more reason for, and more conflict between the kids. Either are, more are conflict you going, between the you, kids you and the town the, or the, yeah. the Temple of Doom route and right. have the kids be like slave labor or something like that. Right. You know, it's you, or, there is no um he doesn't have, for the most part in the movie, he doesn't have a gyro captain or like Papagallo from the second movie or Furiosa from the thir- from the fourth movie to play, to play off, off of, of who is the character with the goal and the agency that Max ends up, you know, helping and right. ultimately helping himself. Max's yeah. main thing that he influences in every movie is himself and is sort of re- like reconnecting with his own humanity, even if only briefly, because he yeah. never stays. Nope. He never gets to stay. He never gets to stay in civilization. He keeps. He always ends up wandering back out into the wasteland. Yeah, he's not ready. He's not ready. He he's can't... not, and he may never be ready. And and I think that's okay. I think George Miller clearly wants to explore this world more, and maybe to do that, you have to get away from Max, which is why the next movie is a Furiosa movie. I have. I do not question George Miller's ability to make a kick-ass action movie. Yeah, I. You know. Obviously, is it going to? Are people going to come see the movie even without Mad Max in the name? And i I think I think it's okay. I th- I think it's okay for this world to get away from Max because Max himself is is not. He's he's a very uncomplicated character by design. 
Yeah, yeah, he's only as interesting as the the characters around him. I he lost he lost his humanity and he lost his sense of civilization in the first movie, and then the world uh, went with him, and he's never going to truly get that back. Yeah, like literally, the best you can hope for with this character is by the end of Fury Road, where he's able to say his name again. Right. Yeah, I mean, and 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 reclaim some part of his humanity that has has lost uh, and and lost. and help some people in need because right. you know he's obviously like they spell it out in Fury Road, but in all these movies he's haunted by being unable to save his wife and his child. Right. And yeah, and I mean, ultimately he be, he is a hero, so he does do the right thing, but it takes him a little bit to get there. Yeah. You know, usually it's it's usually his his interest is whatever I can do to survive long enough until yeah. my conscience kicks in. <laughs> like, I'll do what I need to do to get some gas or some yeah. water or my or, camels. <laughs> you know, it's 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 weird because it it's unclear to me in the development of this movie if they were thinking of this as, oh, we're just we'll just make another Mad Max movie or if it was this is a part three and an ending to something or you know do you know what i mean if it was like here's well, just I, another mad max adventure or I this is the end of it you this know? is the one that gets talked about the least yeah. like beyond like everyone talks about like oh it's the one with tina turner and, and the kids and the kids and <laughs> yeah. it's you know it's got thunderdome in it yeah <laughs> um did you did you see watch any I've been watching a lot of WWE on Peacock and they had their Thunderdome during the pandemic. Oh no, I didn't see they, that. Well, cuz they tried doing like matches and and like Royal Rumble event pay-per-view events with no one watching. <laughs> right. And it was really like the the tone was really weird cuz you couldn't hear any audience cheering. There was this there was like a lack of energy. Right. So they built this thing called the Thunderdome where people could FaceTime in and be projected <laughs> on these multiple tiered screens. Oh my god. Like like so it's like there's like like a simulated arena and they would pipe in audience noises. And it actually worked really well. But, wow. like, the term Thunderdome, obviously, is the most influential thing from right. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Well, but, and, and the quote, two men enter, one man leaves. Yes, like, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, two men enter, one man leaves. Uh, it, it's, um, you, you know the rules. There aren't there are no rules. Yeah. <laughs> are no rules. Uh, no, it's, um, it, I was going to say, it's the one that they, there's the least info to find on the making of it. Yeah. Like, there's some making of stuff for Road Warrior. There's a lot of documentaries that talk about Mad Max, the first Mad Max. Obviously, there's a lot for the newest one. But this one's kind of a little dead zone because I don't think... It's not like George Miller's disowned it, but I don't think he's particularly proud of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems like... Yeah, it never seems like he's he doesn't ever want to talk about it. But it seems like it's just... It probably just reminds him of a time that he just doesn't want to be reminded and of. it's very yeah. rarely have i ever encountered anyone that says this is the best one yeah i mean well aside from roger ebert of all people cited this as the best mad max movie in his review and not only the best mad max movie but one of the best movies of 1985 <laughs> oh roger i guess he really didn't like out of africa uh, well i i'm but the thing is about roger ebert with with science fiction movies is if they didn't, if the movies didn't insult his intelligence and had like really intricate and 
cool world building, he would just be like, this is great. I love right. this. Siskel, <laughs> Siskel and Ebert had a very complicated relationship with like genre filmmaking in the 80s because they yeah. also were like leading the war path against slasher movies. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it's very strange to, to go from like his review, his like three and a half or four star review of beyond thunderdome and then you read something about you know the various slasher movies that he hated um but he anything with like intricate world building that didn't insult his intelligence usually got a three star three stars or more from him yeah also i think the reason they didn't make any more is this one wasn't a huge hit right like the like mad max 2 was a big hit and had a lower budget and then this one wasn't as big a hit. And I think whatever George Miller wanted to do next with it uh, was going to be something on the Fury Road scale. And he right. was going to have to wait until he had a studio willing to gamble on it and the resources and the technology to make that happen. Right. Well, and I mean, yeah. And, and have you gotten through the part in, in Blood, Sweat, and Chrome where they talk about all the times they tried to get Fury Road made? Yeah, I'm in, I'm, <laughs> I've gotten to. They are actually making it now. Yeah, they've actually gotten <laughs> to the point where they're making it. Like It's like, like at the end of is, the 90s, they're like, we're going to make it, and Mel Gibson's on board, and then it's like, oh, and then there's the war in Iraq. Oh, and then like the, the place yeah. that we wanted to film is now full of flowers. <laughs> <It's> like, yes. <laughs> Literally, the wasteland in Australia had a, a like a reverse drought and became beautiful. <laughs> a once in a generation. <laughs> yeah. No, and it is like, it's basically was something sort of like the Watchmen movie or yeah. uh, John Carter of Mars where, but the difference was the, the creatives behind it stayed constant through the whole thing. It was a passion. Right. It's a rare passion project that actually came to fruition and worked out. Right. I mean, it, like, it's, it's the exception that proves the rule, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's like for every one of, uh, for every Mad Max Fury Road, there are a dozen uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote is <laughs> yeah. out there. He, yeah. I mean, whew, that, that <laughs> one just like, I think it's, it, I, every now and then I remember, oh yeah, they did make it. It's, it, it's a thing now. It exists. And I, and I think it's like pretty easy to track down streaming wise. I yeah. think it's like on it's, Crackle it's or Adam, something yeah, like it's that. It's on Tubi for sure. It's Adam Driver and, and Jonathan Price, which is actually a pretty good cast, yeah. you know. Yeah. But he burned through multiple Don Quixotes uh, trying to make <laughs> Trying that. to get that happen. No, I'm... I fucking love Mad Max Fury Road. It is so goddamn good. It is so yep. propulsive. It is one of the best action movies of the fucking century. Yep. And I am so glad that it exists instead of one of those documentaries about what a disaster it was <laughs> to make it. I want, just once, I want one of these movies to come out and it is a beautiful triumph and not Lost in La Mancha or, you know, right. Lost Souls or something with Lost in the title or Wreckage and Rage. Right. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's that's true. And, and uh, I mean, the Mad Max Fury Road is such a minor, like, such a miracle considering all the things that, like, went wrong on the set, all the things that went wrong trying to make it, like, in the 20 years before it was actually made. like And it makes uh, it makes me really happy that it was George Miller's success because by yes. all accounts, he's a really good guy. Yeah. And he's, like, you know, he's obviously, like, a weird mercurial artist and, like, you know, is focused more on visuals than he is on working with actors. And that was really tough for, like, Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron and probably for Mel Gibson and Tina Turner. Yeah. But... 
he's an act he's a director that like takes really good care of his people and is like a really nice guy and loves talking about filmmaking. So like I I love when those types of auteurs succeed yes. because yes. too often the ones that succeed are like kind of pieces of shit. Right. Or yeah, who just who spend, you know, an hour screaming at a crew member for screwing up or something and it's yeah. Everyone yeah. chill out. <laughs> I was like, Last Jedi discourse popped up again on uh, Twitter oh, yeah, this week, yeah. and I was like, go back to the shadow. <laughs> We're done. We're done We're with this. I am, don't need any more. I am done. You're, you know what I think of you, Last Jedi? I think you're fine. <laughs> I think you're okay. No, Sam, you've got you've to gotta, you've gotta fight one side or the other. No. Best movie ever. Worst thing in the world. Franchise uh, ruiner. I don't want to ever be and people were like this about fury road too uh, were. it's very it's strange like they're about that, all of these movies because you know whatever but it's like i don't want to go through my my i don't want my opinions on filmmaking to only be anger at p angry that people hate a movie or angry that people like a movie yeah it makes it so easy to just shit on movies i don't like and really hard to feel like i'm genuinely praising something yeah don't you ever feel like it's really hard to like earnestly like something on there yeah it's yeah. so hard to like it's so hard and this is a reflection of the age we live in and maybe our generation i feel like it can be really hard to say i love something without adding more than something else or i love something and you're an asshole if you don't <laughs> And yeah. that's the thing. I love the Mad Max movies. And they're not perfect. And three of them are led by a guy who is not great. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. To say the least. A, a, a troubled individual. But I love them. And they're so much fun to watch. And this was a fun watch. This is not yeah. my favorite one. I think it's got the most problems. But I have been humming We Don't Need Another Hero all week. Yep, same here. No, I mean, and this is an easy movie to watch. It's, like, very watchable, and it's 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 fun. Like, it is a lot of fun. It's not it's not a bad movie by no. any means. And it's it, just, and it just, drags, but it's still only, like, 100 minutes long. Yeah, it's so. not, yeah it, it doesn't crack two hours. Um, and, and even, like, the parts that are boring are at least visually interesting or something interesting. Like, when the, the kids are all narrating, like, how the apocalypse happened and all that stuff, it's weird and kind of hard to, like, parse, but it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And there's some incredible visuals. Like, when yeah. the kids all go climb up on the wrecked airplane. Yep. You know, yeah. it's... it's Everything that works, works really well. It just doesn't quite work as, like in the Mad Max formula and Mad Max is a hard franchise to break out of the formula. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because the, the two most successful movies in it are aggressively influential. Right. Like the road warrior is so influential that it's, it's hard even for its own franchise to follow it up. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that it basically did with Fury Road, which we're only starting to now sort of see it's, it's influence, you know, um, on things but uh uh it yeah i mean that that movie just it just felt like a cracker like a i don't know a lightning bolt uh, yeah well it's just, you know. it's when and this is so rare too and this is you know when you're hyped up for something when the hype for something is so huge and so anticipated and then it lives up to the hype and then That's, some i mean like when yeah. we walked out i mean we saw fury road together and we walked out i was like 
holy fucking shit. Yeah, and I can, I can, I honestly, it's so hard. It's the, the, that, that feeling is so rare. I could maybe name three times in the last 10 years I've gone to certainly a big spectacle type movie like yeah. that. It's like, it's that, it's Fury Road, it's Dark Knight, and it's like, I'd say into the Spider-Verse maybe. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's so hard to get, have all of those like cylinders firing at once to use an appropriate analogy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's um yeah, I mean that that I don't know. I mean, we don't need to be to beat the Fury Road dead horse, but I, that movie is just a miracle. It's a miracle and uh you know, it's one of those movies that uh I try to watch every year uh just cuz it it just it's so incredible just on a filmmaking level. And, yeah, well, and you know, I would say to the folks that only know the franchise from Fury Road, sort of the younger crowd, go back and watch the first three. Like Mad Max, definitely watch Fury Ro uh, Road Warrior yeah. and watch Beyond Thunderdome because they're three, they're all an easy watch and it's very interesting to see a director sort of evolve across those three movies. And you'll see like repeating image images that I'm not entirely certain Miller is trying is doing it intentionally, but you'll see sort of repeating image patterns from each all the movies, and and you know like uh, Screw Loose in this movie is painted like a war boy in, yeah. in Fury Road, and um, other things that sort of kind of trickle down through through each movie that just you know again I don't think Miller's doing it consciously. I think it's all unconscious. Well, honestly, there's, yeah, there's a lot of um if you go on YouTube and find like any of the well done like George Miller tributes. Yeah. Uh, You'll see the imagery in the Mad Max movies in Babe, Pig in the City, yep. and in uh, Happy Feet, and in uh, the Twilight Zone short that he did. You know, it's it's all there. He's just a, he's a director I don't think gets appreciated for his overall body of work because it's so disjointed just on the surface, at least. Yeah. Well, and I think he also makes it look effortless, and I think that's also another thing that makes it sort of... Uh, it doesn't get as appreciated, because he's not... You know, aside from sort of being a, with the Mad Max movies anyway, in your face, a lot of his movies are not very flashy and aren't like sort of yeah. like you know. Show or they're off flashy you. in a very different right. way. Right. Well, they're like, flashy in a in a very simple way, and so you don't. I think if you're watching it, you don't think, "Oh my God, that was amazing." He just did something so crazy. Like, how could he? How did he do that? You know, <laughs> it just seems so easy. It's so funny to me. Uh, like in Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, they talk about, you know, they talk, they touch on Beyond Thunderdome and a lot of people are like, yeah, it felt like a letdown after the first two. But the movie that no one likes is Happy Feet 2. <laughs> they were like, why was he wasting his time with this movie? Because I think they were right on the cusp of getting Fury Road made. <laughs> so yeah. they were just like, get it out of, get out of here, dancing penguins. Yeah, well, and it sounded like he was really distracted making Happy Feet 2 because he was trying to get, uh, get Fury Road. Because he was going to be like, like directing Fury Road from or directing Happy Feet Two, like while he was directing Fury he was, Road, he was going to pull like an Amistad Lost World thing yeah. where he's doing like the big serious movie and the fun family friendly movie yeah. at the same time, like Spielberg. <laughs> but like, there's a reason Spielberg stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Beyond Thunderdome barely cracked the twenty highest grossing movies of 1985. Yeah, yep. yeah. Beat out Spies Like Us, but not quite as much as something called Jagged Edge. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Uh, Jagged Edge is... 
A wealthy woman is murdered in her beach house. The husband is allegedly knocked out first. He inherits all. He has a female ex-criminal prosecutor represent him in court. Uh, directed by Richard Marquand oh. uh, of Return of the Jedi fame. Written by Joe Esterhaus. Oh, okay. And starring Peter Coyote, Lance Henriksen, and Maria Mayenzit. So... I it, right. it the the it screams erotic thriller to me. Yeah, that that's I mean, well, Esther House sort yeah. of. Uh, no, I I mean the impression. summer of '85 was Back to the Future, Beverly Hills Cop, and the second Rambo. So yeah. Yeah, forget about it. <laughs> I guess uh, I, I hate to leave this franchise behind because whatever we watch next is your decision. And <laughs> I I you know as you. You know me, I always pick bangers, don't I? Um, so, Sam, we, we've talked about this one. Uh, we've danced around it a number of times, and now I think it's time to finally watch it. Now that the iron is way, 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 way cold, it's time... I have a face on right now. I look like Beaker from the Muppets, just a drawn-down <laughs> mouth. Like, no. It is time to get our proton packs and do Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> Ghostbusters. I right, I'm not. I have seen nothing from it except you know a few clips. I'm in no position to judge. It was just a Ghostbusters. Speaking of franchises with toxic discourse. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, yeah. I'm interested to see it. I think it's going to be one of those ones that is sort of like the fir- the the new Halloween where it has no interest in anything that came after the first Ghostbusters. Right. Like, yeah. you know, and I, I'm a big Vigo the Carpathian fan, so, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't hurt to give him a shout-out. Well, but. and I just, I mean, at least what I've read about it, I'm, I'm firmly of the opinion that uh, a franchise like Ghostbusters doesn't need to keep relitigating its premise every fucking sequel. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> this is another one uh, from my 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 least favorite re- nostalgia genre trope, which is your heroes became loser burnouts and never spoke again, and their failures and everything they did in the original movie amounted to nothing. Which is so funny because that's basically what happens in Ghostbusters too. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every single Ghostbusters movie is an origin movie because there's yeah. the first one, they re- reboot it in the second one, the third, the Ghostbusters Answer the Call or whatever it's called is a remake. And they, and they again, I just, it's one of those things where it's like, this is the simplest premise to do as like, here's another Ghostbusters adventure, let's have fun. Which is so crazy considering what they originally pitched the first one as is like, basically the movie started... The original script started kind of like when Walter Peck arrives. Right. And they've been at it yeah. for a while, and they're, it's all very mundane to them. <laughs> Which is what, yeah. like, the sequels should be. I like when these movies aren't, you know, it, it's it becomes mundane to the characters. Like, uh, like you want them to become, like, Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black. Right. You know? I, I, but again, Men in Black is another franchise that does the same thing, where it's like, I... I Granted, I haven't seen Men in Black 3, but Men in Black 2 basically just is like, we're going to redo the premise again, folks. It's Duh. every single one of them is uh, K meeting J again. Right. It's, just it's like, like restoring his memory or going back in time. It's like, and what, it's are, whole thing. what are we doing here, guys? Like, this, again, it's the easiest premise to do. It's like, just just have them do another adventure with ghosts. 
Like, why? Why? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I will I admit, st- the, be- I d- the best thing about Ghostbusters is that it's really a story of a bunch of guys trying to start a small business. Right. You know, <laughs> I need to draw some money. This magnificent feast represents the last of the, petty, the cash. petty cash. <laughs> like, that's the best stuff in the movie. But, yeah. you know, you have to progress a little bit. And it seems like this is, again, and this is also another franchise where it's all very spread out over time. So they yeah. don't really have a lot of continuity. It's very reliant on bringing the same actors back. Yeah. And obviously, we'll probably get into next week the long, long march to get to Ghostbusters 3. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. often trying to get around the Hadrian Wall that is Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's uh, so anyways, I think it I think it's time, Sam. I think we should we should do it. We didn't do it when it came out. So. Um, when did it come out? Was it last year? It was last year. We had Fuck. started the podcast when it started. Fuck, I'm old. Out. God damn it. Oh, I've been wandering the wasteland for years now. Sam, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary of this podcast. I know. Podcast. Well, uh, it's, it'll be on uh, Peacock, uh, Halloween Ends, and we'll probably have to tackle that. Oh, because it is also the end of a trilogy. That's it's a right. Part, it's a part four that's also a part uh, three that's also like a part 13. So, you know. <laughs> it's our bread and butter. Yeah, don't you ever change, Halloween. Don't you ever change. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, that'll be that'll be fun because I love Ghostbusters and yeah. I, I, I'm fond of Ghostbusters too and it's a fun world and we'll get to... It's it's I'm I'm interested. I've been very very wary of it because I really don't I like too. it. It, yeah. it it's it it epitomizes the thing I really don't like about like the movies like like the new Star Wars and the new um, and Picard and Halloween and it this one feels like another one of those. But uh, I've spent time watching dumber movies. That's for sure. <laughs> I can't justify I can't justify skipping Ghostbusters Afterlife when I watched two and a half underworld movies <laughs> <laughs> to be fair i didn't ask you to do that <laughs> you did by making me watch the most exposition heavy franchise i didn't i needed to know what was going on <laughs> oh, fair fair <sighs> well until next time folks you can always find us on twitter and uh on instagram at podcast part three that's uh, the number three will this was a delight I love it these was. movies. I do too. It's always fun to talk Mad Max. They are yep. they are a great watch, and I believe uh, at least uh, Thunderdome and Fury Road and maybe Road Warrior are all now streaming on HBO Max. Oh, okay, folks, you can check them out if you haven't seen them. If you haven't seen Fury Road for whatever reason, if you've been dragging your heels like stop, I do with Afterlife, stop everything you're doing and watch it. Yeah, because it is it it is well worth your time. It's so good. It's so good. I I so don't good. and you know me I don't kick that that much <laughs> effusive hyperbole around lightly but i'm a very no, measured man it, it's a masterpiece i mean there's there's no other way to describe it it is a masterpiece it yeah, is 100 percent. Yeah. yeah and uh also worth checking out the music of tina turner if you haven't gotten on that <laughs> we don't need another hero i ain't missing you at all <laughs> since you've been gone away <laughs> All right. Uh, until next time. Good night, Will. Good night, folks. Good night, Sam.